right, church, with your Bibles open, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 for today. Um, See, at the end of chapter 6, the preacher wondered, uh, how can we live well during these few and passing days that we have on this earth? And so in chapter 6 ends in verse number 12, he asks the question, For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? So in light of the fact that no one truly knows the future except for God, we had better make the best use of the time that we have been granted by God. So therefore, chapter 7 the preacher is going to guide us in how to make the best use of our time. And so chapter 7 and chapter 8, he discusses the importance of wisdom and life. Wisdom is clearly the theme of these two chapters. He'll use that term 14 times in chapter 7 and 8. And so thinking back to chapter 1, the preacher told us that pursuing meaning and satisfaction in life through wisdom was like chasing the wind. That's chapter 1, verse number 17. But it should be noted that he never minimizes the importance of living wisely. Sure, wisdom may fail to bring lasting, permanent fulfillment to life, but it does not mean that wisdom has no value. And so in the second half of Ecclesiastes, now we've made the turning point. Now we're into the second half territory of this book. And here, we're going to see the preacher is going to impart some of his wisdom unto us. Chapter 7 is unique. Chapter 7 reads as though it's a proverb in and of itself. Chapter 7, for me, would be uh, the strongest indication for uh, Solomon as the writer. Now, I have said from the very beginning uh, that I don't personally believe that, that Solomon is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I go back all the way to uh, chapter 1, verse number 1. And so what you'll see is uh, the, the term Ecclesiastes is a Greek term for a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is Koheleth. And so Koheleth is, is a word for teacher. And so Ecclesiastes is the Greek form of Koheleth. Ecclesiastes is in that word, you have the root of it, ecclesia. Ecclesia is the assembling, the body of Christ, the, the, the collection of believers. And so Koheleth literally means the one who speaks to the ecclesia. And so my understanding would be uh, uh, that's the preacher. And so that's uh, how I've referred to uh, this author through the whole six chapters to this point and will continue to refer to it as the preacher. But those, uh, there are some uh, that hold to the view that Solomon writes this himself, rather than it being written in the perspective of Solomon. And for those that hold that view, I think chapter 7 is a strong argument for Solomon as uh, the writer, because it is very Proverbs-esque. And so, uh, chapter 7 is a collection of simple practical sayings that if we are wise, then we would pursue and practice the the sayings from chapter 7. 
And so today we're going to begin a three-part series through chapter 7. And in it, we're going to discover the wise advice given to us uh, from the preacher in his observations of life. And his advice is expressed in three uh, distinct ways. He's going to give unto us some comparisons, some warnings, and then he offers some considerations. And so that's how I've uh, divided the chapter out. Uh, This week we're going to look at some comparisons. Uh, The next time uh, we'll look at his warnings. He gives us four warnings. And then we'll wrap up chapter 7 by looking at the considerations that he gives to us. And so the preacher concluded that although wisdom cannot explain all of life's mysteries, it most definitely can have a positive impact upon our lives. And so today, we're going to walk through a series of comparisons, and we'll see these comparisons introduced to us by a series of better-than statements. Comparisons have been something that's always been effective and and useful in life. Uh, Comparisons is a is a helpful way for us to evaluate things. When you're about to purchase an item, whether it's a large item or or, or a small item, uh, comparisons, we rely upon that all the time. We'll compare products, we'll compare prices, compare reviews, uh, compare websites or, or stores, and we do all of this in an effort to, to make sure that we're getting the better item. And so comparisons are extremely uh, helpful in life. But here's the thing. We often use comparisons to make better decisions. And every day we make literally hundreds, if not thousands of decisions in our lives. We make those every day. Now, the majority of life's decisions are not necessarily decisions between what is right and wrong, or what is bad and what is good. I would say that the majority of life's decisions are choices that are to be made between what is good and what is better. So keep in mind that the word better is a key word in chapter 7. This word is used... Uh, some 11 times in this chapter. I believe that the original listeners would have been shocked as they heard these better than uh, comparisons as they uh, come to understand that the life of a person who pursues the wisdom of God. And so let's begin in, in, in verse number one. And he begins with a double comparison. Verse one says, a good name is better than a good ointment. The first comparison is this. Honor is better than luxury. Honor is better than luxury. Uh, the opening words of this verse find their parallel in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 1 begins, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. And so, why does the preacher use Uh, good ointment as the comparable object, why not use something like gold or silver? The reality is that in the the dusty communities of biblical times, scented 
oils and other fragrances were of uh, extremely valuable commodity used in exchange. And so what the preacher is trying to say is that having a name that people will admire for its integrity is even more valuable. So with every comment that we make, with every action that we take, we either build up and add to, or we tear down and take away from our reputation. So the preacher calls us to to wear the cologne of a good character. And so a person's name represents that, that, that person or that individual's reputation or their standing in the, in the minds and in the eyes of other people. There's an ancient saying that goes like this, uh, every man has three names. One his father and mother gives him at birth. One that others call him. And then the third is the one that he earns for himself. And so the comparison, the first part of verse 1, sets up the comparison that follows. And let's see how these fit together. A good name is better than good ointment. And and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. I've said that I refer to the writer as the preacher. Some refer to him as Solomon. He sounds very much like Eeyore, if you ask me. Just everything's gloomy. Everything's just, what's the point? If you're a casual reader, that will be your takeaway. But if you'll look at it and study it, there's so much more. So he says from the beginning, honor is better than luxury. Then he says, death is better than birth. Now initially, this might sound a bit confusing. The, the day of a person's death is better than the day of an individual's birth. Or to put it another way, the day... A person's life ends here on earth is better than the day that it all began. Now, uh, for us uh, to understand how it's possible for our last day to be our best day, we can go back and see this displayed in the life of Christ when Christ was born. But even that blessed day was not the best day. The even better day came when Christ died, right? So it's not the birth of Jesus that saves us, although He had to be born in order that He might die. But, but it's His death that delivers us from the tyranny and the punishment of sin. And so the preacher says that our inner character is better than any outward fragrance and our funeral, not our birth, but our funeral will reveal our true nature, our true value, our true character. You see, if someone dies with a good reputation, then that good reputation will remain, perhaps even be enhanced with the passage of time. One of the reasons is because the person's now dead. And they can't do anything to take away from the previously good reputation. Right, But even if someone dies and they have a bad reputation, well, the day of their death is still far better 
for they can no longer do any harm. They can cause no more hurt. They can suffer no more shame. And so, for the believer in Christ, these words are most certainly true. Because at birth, we're brought into a world of sin, sorrow, and suffering. But at death, we are finally and forever released and fully delivered from it. And so while each of these two statements could technically stand on their own, the key to understanding verse number one is considering these two statements together. So therefore, the preacher was saying something like this. Dying with a good name is better than being born into a life of wealth and prosperity. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 7, it says it like this. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And so the main reason why the day of death is better than the day of birth is because, paradoxically, uh, death has so much more to teach us about life. He continues, look at verse number 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. So we know that honor is better than luxury, death is better than birth, and here we see mourning is better than feasting. You see, going to a funeral is better in the sense that it teaches us to be wise in how we live our lives and helps us to prepare ourselves to die. Notice the phrase, the house of mourning. Well, that phrase refers to visiting the home of someone who has recently died. In those days, it was customary for people to go to the home to pay their last respects to that individual's household. We see it in Scripture. Jesus returns to Lazarus' home to give his respects and to visit with Mary and Martha. Now, in these days, we don't necessarily go to individuals' home for that gathering. We go to places like the funeral home or even churches. But wherever that place happens to be, it is good, it is wise, it is beneficial that we have a direct encounter with death. Why? Well, in reality, most of us will spend our days without ever thinking about the subject of death. Most of us never stop to consider that death may be at our door this very hour. But, when you attend a funeral, oh, we're, we're reminded of the brevity of life. One day, we too will die. One day, other people will gather for us to pay their respects. And so it is good for us to remember this. And a funeral forces this fact upon us in a way that nothing else really can do. The prayer of Moses in Psalm chapter 90 is a good prayer for all of us. In Psalm 90, verse number 12, it says, So teach us to number our days, 
that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So dealing with death is good for the heart. And that's the word that the preacher uses repeatedly through verses 2 through 4. The heart. The heart is, represents the, the core of an individual. It's the, the center of, of who we are. And so in verse number 3, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. So the fourth comparison, or the fourth truth that we see, is that sorrow is better than laughter. You see, a person can feel sorrow or sadness for any number of reasons. And so the claim that sorrow is better than laughter may seem absurd at first as well. But this is not an attempt to limit or prevent laughter in life. After all, go back to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse number 4, tells us that there's a time to cry and a time to laugh. And so the preacher is not presenting us with an either-or situation. What he's trying to encourage is that we have a proper balance in life. That proper balance between sorrow and laughter. Here's what he wants us to understand. Sorrow brings benefits to our lives that laughter cannot. A wise person thinks about death and mourns, but a fool thinks only about the pleasures of this life, the pleasures that they can receive right here and right now. So verse 4 says that the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. You see, fools are more inclined to block out the serious contemplation of difficult and painful things. Fools cannot bear to deal with the crisis at hand. Fools will try to deny the sorrow of troubling circumstances. Fools will turn to shallow alternatives in order to numb the pain of their problem. You can usually identify a fool by the way that they respond to the painful problems or the pressures of life. And so the wise person takes sorrow to heart The wise person allows the truth of the situation to sink in, no matter how difficult, no matter how distressing it might be. The reality is, certain lessons can only be learned through suffering and through tears. Therefore, we need to allow sorrow the opportunity to perform its work in us, in our imperfect and immature hearts. There's a benefit that sorrow produces in our lives that laughter can never achieve. Verse 5 says, moving to the fifth comparison, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. So the fifth comparison is that rebuke is better than praise. 
And the point of these verses simply stated is that wisdom's rebuke is better than folly's laughter. No one likes to be corrected. No one enjoys being scolded. No one relishes in criticism from other people. And in fact, quite the opposite is often true. People prefer flattery to fault-finding. They would much rather hear compliments rather than criticism. But nevertheless, the preacher wants us to recognize that wise criticism, wise rebuke is better than foolish flattery. Which means to live wisely to make the most of this opportunity to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies God, then to live wisely when it comes to wise rebuke, a wise person will anticipate it, they'll accept it, they'll appreciate it, and they'll apply it to their life. Again, the wise person, when it comes to wise rebuke, they will anticipate it, accept it, appreciate it, and apply it. Wise people do do not only accept wise rebuke, but they actually invite it and, and humbly receive it into their lives. And so when wise, constructive criticism is properly given, that means it's given at the right time, uh, with the right spirit, with the right motive. When it's done that way, it is a beautiful thing. Still, we can't overlook the fact that being rebuked, even when it's done the right time, the right motive, the right way, even that process can still be painful. It can still sting. All of us, if we're honest, believe we would admit that we all have a tendency to resort to defensiveness. Even the toughest among us are somewhat sensitive to critical remarks. But reproving words, even when it's done tactfully and tastefully and tenderly, and all of that can still wound us if we're not careful. At such times, we should recall the wisdom that we see from places like Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So the point is this, a wise person will value constructive criticism and rebuke over the ego-inflating praise of foolish flattery. Those who prefer to, to listen to what the preacher calls the song of fools. So in, in describing this kind of foolishness, uh, the preacher draws upon a vivid analogy in which He compares the laughter of fools to the crackling of thorns under a pot. Look at verse number 6. 
Verse 6 says, For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. And so what he's saying is that the, the crackling thorns under the pot make uh, the impressive display of intense fire, but never last long enough to produce anything or to, you know, uh, have a profound impact. It, it appears and then it just quickly diminishes. And this is why the preacher says it's much better for us to hear and receive the rebuke of the wise. Because wise people will say all the things that the preacher has said unto us in Ecclesiastes. Wise people will tell us that living for pleasure or working for selfish gain is nothing but striving and chasing after the wind. The wise will tell us that God has a time for everything in this world, including a time to to be born and a time to die. God is sovereignly in control over all things. A wise person will tell us that Two are better than one when facing the the toils and troubles of life. They'll tell us that money will never satisfy the soul. In short, the, the wise will tell us not to live our lives for today or under the sun, but to live ourselves for eternity or for the glory of God. And so rebuke is better than praise. And then point number six. Patience is better than pride. Verse 7 says, For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Bribery appears to be a quick way in order to get things done, but it turns a wise man into a fool. Because bribery only encourages the corruption that already exists within the human heart. Proverbs chapter 14 says this, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. But a fool is arrogant and careless. I have the... I put the wrong text on that, sorry. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly And a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 14, verses 16 through 17. In other words, far better that we wait patiently and humbly for God to work out His will in our lives than it is for us to get angry and for us to demand our own way at our own time. Rather than forcing what we want, the better way is to look ahead. The better way is to take a long-term view of things. Because look at verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. And so there are no shortcuts to the Christian life. There's no easy path for us to take. We, we, we are not promised a future without resistance, a future without persecution, a future without any setbacks or delays. No. Quite the opposite, in fact, is true. 
Jesus declared in John chapter 16, verse number 33, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So the things that really matter, these things require commitment, determination, and discipline in our lives. It is not always easy to live the Christian life. It's not always easy to remain in a difficult job. It's not always easy to honor and to fulfill your marriage vows. It's not about what's easy. We live in a day when people fail to follow through with the simplest of commitments that they make. It's as though people's words matter nothing these days. You see this played out in our marriages where fewer and fewer couples, even Christian couples, will honor their promise to remain wed until separated by death. We see this lack of commitment not just in our marriages, but we see it within the church. When churches go through difficult times, stressful seasons, some members are so quick just to bail and leave. Maybe hold on to the words from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Everyone. Believers and non-believers. Right? And especially those who are the household of faith. Not exclusively the household of faith, but especially the household of faith. Don't just limit our good works and our good deeds to those that believe like us. No, let's be a blessing to the whole world, to the whole community, so that we can be a light that shines in the midst of darkness. And especially when you see a brother and sister in Christ in need, we should respond positively. And all of these exhortations about life and and death, about wisdom and folly, about waiting patiently to see what God will do in our lives, the preacher is teaching us the better way for us to live and walk in this life. And he ends these exhortations with a final comparison in it. He's going to restate uh, the wisdom and the value of wisdom. We're going to skip down to verse number 11. I'll come back to that other text next time when we talk about the warnings. And so skipping down to verse number 11, it says, Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. So in comparing wisdom to an inheritance, 
the preacher is declaring that wisdom is not only extremely valuable, it is actually superior to wealth. So the final comparison is that wisdom is better than wealth. According to verse 11, wisdom and knowledge is better than a generous inheritance. Because money can can lose its value. Money uh, can be stolen. It can be consumed by others. It can disappear in difficult times. But wisdom as a source is a deep well that the possessor can draw upon. Wisdom protects us from and through the storms and the uncertainties of life. Uh, We must live daily in the realization that ultimately God knows what's best for us. King David taught us in Psalm chapter 37, verse number 23, that the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and He delights in His way. So therefore, with our steps being established in the Lord, we must seek His direction. Right? We must learn to listen to Him and to trust Him, even with the smallest details of our lives. Because Proverbs chapter 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. In every way, whatever you're facing, If you're a child of God, may you know that the difficulties that you face, the sufferings that you endure, can ultimately be of great value and benefit in your life. Because they can be used by God to refine us, to mature us, to help to make us complete. And so, there are times when we need funerals. There are times when we need sorrow instead of laughter. There are times when we need the wise rebuke of a loving brother and sister in Christ. And so what we discover in this first part, honor is better than luxury. Death is better than birth. Mourning is better than feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. Rebuke is better than praise. Patience is better than pride. Wisdom is better than wealth. And hearing these, it becomes abundantly clear that God is committed to your full-term development of holiness than He is in your short-term provision of happiness. Holiness trumps happiness every single time. Let's pray. Holy Father, may You use the words of the preacher to encourage Your people today. God, help us to seek to live a life that wisely applies to Scripture God, help us to have a deep love for Your Word. 
increase our, our knowledge and understanding of your word. And God, help us to have that eagerness to rightly apply your word to our lives and to our situation. And so God, in this moment, as we reflect and respond to the preaching and the declaration of your word, I pray that you would be pleased by the response that you see in and from us in this moment. Father, help us. Help us to repent and confess our sins. Help us to make decisions and commitments that honor and glorify you. God, whatever that needs to be done in this time, in order that we might leave this place in a right relationship with you, I pray that your spirit would move among us, accomplishing your will for each and every one of us. Father, help us in this time. We turn it over to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.